Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Today on The Argument, Facebook is a hot mess. Would breaking it up help? Some big news today. The Federal Trade Commission suing to break up Facebook. 46 states have joined the government's groundbreaking legal challenge. If these suits are found to have merit, Facebook could be forced to spin off Instagram and WhatsApp. Facebook, recently rebranded as Meta, is big. Really, really big. Three billion users big. But is it too big? I'm Jane Koston, and I don't use Facebook. My dad uses Facebook to post about his guitar collection and helping out with a neighbor's Eagle Scout project. But I do use Instagram and WhatsApp. And guess what? Meta owns all of that. No matter how old you are, you're probably using one of Meta's platforms. Their bigness means they're kind of impossible to escape on the internet. So the feds want to break it up. What'll that mean? I don't know. But I brought in two people to argue about it. My name is Sarah Miller. I'm the executive director of the American Economic Liberties Project. And the New York Times described me as a thorn in Silicon Valley's side. So I think that probably makes it pretty clear. I'm Tyler Cowan. I'm professor of economics at George Mason University, director of the Mercatus Center. And I think big business has done a great amount of good for the American economy. And very often antitrust suits are misguided. Tyler, I think we should disclose you run a blog that's published on Bulletin, which is a project of Meta, which owns Facebook. Correct. I am working with Meta, formerly Facebook, on Bulletin. Absolutely. So for simplicity's sake, we're going to refer to the antitrust case as the case against Facebook, because that's what it was called when the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission, first filed its complaint. But Facebook is more than just the Facebook platform. It owns WhatsApp and Instagram, but it's acquired nearly 100 companies in the last 15 years. What does it mean to break up Facebook, Sarah? So I think if you break up Facebook and what the FTC has asked for to split off Instagram and spin off WhatsApp. And just to be clear, Wall Street does this every day with other companies, Johnson & Johnson splitting up, GE is splitting up, Toshiba is splitting up. So breaking up companies, if you're Wall Street, is something that happens all the time when it benefits shareholders. When the government does it, it seems a lot more radical and scary. But in general, you're trying to reinvigorate some competitive pressure in the marketplace. So with Facebook, for example, if you spin off WhatsApp, if you spin off Instagram, if you prevent the massive kind of data flows that go to Facebook Central or Meta through those entities, you start the process of restoring a competitive marketplace. That alone will not solve the problem. To be clear, we kind of get colored as breakups or a silver bullet, and they're not. But we do think that Facebook is not subject today to any sort of real competitive pressure because of its acquisition strategy, and that spinning off these entities would start to restore that. Sarah, can you get us up to speed on how these antitrust cases came to be? 
Sure. I think they're part of kind of a broader reckoning that's been happening in Washington, D.C. and kind of in the broader antitrust community over the past couple of years that really looked critically at the way that antitrust law has been enforced since the Reagan era on a bipartisan basis, which was very friendly to big business, which in fact kind of encouraged businesses to get larger and narrowed the scope of antitrust law significantly to mostly focus on consumers. And so I think Facebook and the tech platforms more broadly, because they are free for a long time, escaped any scrutiny under that narrow vision of antitrust. But once we have seen the range of harms that emanate from Facebook and from tech and the fact that they seem insulated from competitive pressure, Facebook in particular, which has obviously been subject to scandal after scandal, renewed that set of questions. And the case against Facebook basically says Facebook has not acquired its dominance through amazing innovations in a very long time. In fact, Facebook has managed to stay on top because they have purchased their competitors, Instagram and WhatsApp in particular, because they pose competitive threats to their dominance, and that is not legal. Tyler, back in June, a D.C. judge dismissed the first FTC complaint because the court said that they had failed to prove that Facebook is a monopoly. And I was like, what is Facebook a monopoly of? And you've made the point that you can tweet, you could use Discord. There are lots of means by which you can communicate that in no way have anything to do with Facebook. Can you explain a little bit why you argue that not only is Facebook not a monopoly, but that they're an anti-monopoly engine? U.S. antitrust law is situated within the notion of consumer welfare. What is good for the users? So with Facebook, the price of using it is zero. That's the opposite of traditional monopolies. Traditional monopolies would restrict output. Facebook tries to get people communicating with each other, as does big tech in general. Facebook is one of the largest anti-monopoly engines in our economy. If you ask who advertises on Facebook, it's the small businesses and startups and nonprofits that cannot afford to advertise on radio or television. So the net effect of Facebook is anti-monopoly. And if you wish to communicate with other people, well, you mentioned Discord. There's Clubhouse. There's Twitter DM. There's email. How about walking somewhere and knocking on someone's door, right? What young people do most of all is simply text each other. There's so many ways of communicating with people. When you think about the actual size of the market, it is enormous. Facebook does not have the supposed monopoly power. And you look at the data, you speak to young people, they will tell you, for the most part, they are moving away from Facebook they view it as something they use to communicate with their grandparents. I mean, that's fine, great, but it doesn't dominate their lives. They don't need it. The real danger for Facebook is that they're losing market share. But it may cost zero dollars for me to use, which is great because I would pay negative zero dollars to use Facebook, but Facebook still gets my data. Facebook knows through Instagram, through any means of platforms that they own, they know a great deal about me and they can sell that information to advertisers. Does that change the calculus a little bit for how we think about Facebook? Because they are making money from me, even if I am not giving them money. Facebook in general is not out there selling your information. What Facebook does is allow other parties to send you ads. 
Now think about the New York Times. Go to the New York Times privacy page. The New York Times is a regular course of business. We'll sell information. Now I'm fine with this. I'm a loyal subscriber to the New York Times. That's part of the deal. I consent to that. I'm not upset about that arrangement. If people want to use Facebook less, they can do so. Often they are doing so. Sarah, how do you respond? Because I think that Facebook is a free service. How do you respond? Especially, I'm interested in your thoughts on his anti-monopoly argument. Here's where they dominate. It's not social media necessarily. I think Facebook wants to think and brand itself as a social media company because then Tyler's argument sounds like it makes some sense. You can knock on your neighbor's door instead of use Facebook. I guess, sure, you could. What Facebook actually is, is a digital advertising company. It sells ads. Facebook and Google both are a duopoly in a massive digital advertising market. They hold kind of a gatekeeper position between businesses and online consumers in terms of advertising. So that's how they make their money. And that's why their dominance is such a problem. So I think a lot of people don't understand just how much Facebook knows about them. Facebook has developed an incredibly vast kind of information and data harvesting regime, and they've been entirely reckless with it. Um, I would say purposefully as part of the business model. Not only do they track what you do on Facebook or Instagram, they also get significant amounts of data from WhatsApp, although they kind of pretend in some ways like that's still a very safe and secure platform. They follow you all over the internet. So through like pages and through other kind of negotiations with websites, they know everywhere that you go on the internet, more or less. And then they can also follow you around in the real world through the phone that you carry around in your pocket. So I think when people realize just the extent of data that Facebook is able to harvest about them, that genuinely tends to make people feel quite uneasy. And then what they're able to do with that and why we see misinformation flourishing around the world, whether it's in the U.S. and U.S. elections or political debates, or whether it's in Myanmar, where Facebook facilitated literally a genocide or with violence in Ethiopia that's been supercharged by kind of Facebook's algorithms and business model, we see that this data is then able to turn around, be fed to advertisers who can place messages, whether they're a shoe company trying to sell you a shoe or a foreign political actor trying to sell you an idea and feed those messages back to an individual user in a way that's incredibly socially disruptive. And then the other thing that Facebook does, which is so important, they push through their algorithms the most kind of incendiary, engaging, sensationalist content. So your eyes stay glued to the screen and they can get more money through more advertising revenue. So I think it's important to understand that whole ecosystem. Tyler, what do you think? I'm remembering being on MySpace and I don't know, I was 12, but I don't remember data coming into any consideration. It was like, where are the cool people? I want to go there. There are plenty of decentralized social networks. Go to 4chan if you want incendiary content. It is much worse there than any problems on Facebook or Meta more generally. Your data would become less secure in a world with smaller tech companies If you ask, what do consumers really want? Well, go to search where we can make the comparison. There's DuckDuckGo. It's a good search engine. It protects your privacy much more than Google does. Some people use it, but the vast majority of people prefer to use Google. But I think what we're seeing is that Facebook critics on antitrust, they really don't 
have a very strong case. The first case presented was thrown out because it misunderstood market size. So there's a tendency to just list, you know, 10, 15, 20 things wrong with Facebook or Meta now to get people feeling bad about the company. But your initial question was about monopoly and zero prices. So if that's the question, what has happened to prices, the user experience for advertising, it's much better. I read Sarah's response as going off in a lot of other directions. What about this country? What about that country? Matters that are not really germane to antitrust. So we, we can talk about those, but I would ask we stick now to the antitrust point. And the case is just very weak. You have better advertising options than before Facebook and Google came along. And it's much cheaper, and you reach better audiences in a more targeted fashion. Why should our government intervene to stop that? I don't see it. Tyler, corporate breakups are admittedly rare in this way. The last time that there was a major breakup of a communications company was AT&T in 1982. How do you think that antitrust law has changed? And what does that mean for Facebook? As Sarah said, there's a resurgence of interest in using antitrust. And in today's environment, it's both the left wing and the right wing that don't like Facebook, but they dislike it for somewhat opposite reasons. Uh, in my view, that's actually a sign you're doing something right. The right wing thinks there's too many left wing employees at Facebook who discriminate against the right. The left wing thinks there's too much misinformation on Facebook, too many right wing lies. They're upset about that. And just as people are not typically happy with the media, they are not happy with Facebook. They're not happy with other sources of information. That is part of the natural human condition that people think it is biased against their side. Sarah, what is the best possible antitrust focused reason to break up Facebook? I think the best possible reason is that it's likely violated what are fairly straightforward antitrust laws. If you take kind of the manipulation of antitrust to be put under the guise of consumer welfare in the 1980s aside. So Facebook essentially purchased Instagram and WhatsApp to squash competition, to eliminate a competitive threat. And that is against antitrust law as traditionally and for a very long period of American history Define. It was not about consumer prices. You didn't really hear consumers as even a meaningful part of antitrust law before the 1980s when kind of the Reagan era took over and reshaped antitrust to promote a higher degree of corporate centralization, essentially. So I think what's happening now is we're seeing the fruits of that experiment. It's been a 40-year experiment. And so now we have a situation where the severe level of concentration is basically locking out competitors, locking out barriers to entry and centralizing control over key areas of commerce. And so that's something that antitrust originally was designed to avoid. And so I think, you know, with the Biden administration appointing FTC Chair Lena Khan at the Department of Justice, Jonathan Cantor, you know, these are leaders who understand and have seen the profound flaws in this very narrow consumer-focused way of enforcing antitrust since the 1980s and are looking at the structure of markets, at whether there's actually kind of a competitive structure in markets or whether they're basically controlled and gate-kept by a handful of firms. And just for disclosure purposes, Sarah, I think you've done some consulting for the Biden administration on this issue. I worked on the Biden administration's transition team, not necessarily on this issue, though. OK, but I, I want to ask, suppose we do break up Facebook into five companies or little Facebooklets. 
Does that make us safer or better off, do you think? I think it absolutely is essential because what this is really about is power. Our economy and kind of our commercial space has been successful when you've had market structures that are not highly concentrated. So new entrants can come in through innovative ideas. They're not bought or buried. And we have that sort of dynamism in the economy. But Tyler, you've argued that there are lots of places to do social networking. So from your perspective, what happens if we do break up the company? Facebook has made WhatsApp and Instagram much, much better. They're much more popular. If you evaluate those acquisitions in terms of consumer welfare, it's a big plus. Keep in mind, those acquisitions were examined at the time, right? They were approved. And also, you can go to the media in the years, you know, 2012, 2014, and you will find many articles, many op-eds questioning, why is Facebook paying so much for these services? This is crazy. They're wasting their money. Obviously, Facebook turned those into good decisions, but they have added value, and I am not bound by Facebook. To the extent I use Facebook, the part of Facebook, the company, now Meta, the company I use most often, is WhatsApp. It's because I think it's the best product. Now, that page, the WhatsApp page, it is very, very clean. No advertisements. If that were an independent company, it would be a much more cluttered page, less pleasant to use. Whatever worries you have about, you know, advertising and privacy and so on, they would be worse with WhatsApp as a separate entity from the larger corporate entity of Meta, formerly Facebook. I think part of the argument we're having is getting compressed into two different ideas. So Tyler bases his argument on the fact that there's all these ways to communicate. That's how we should define Facebook. And what I'm trying to say is that's not how Facebook sees itself. It sees itself as controlling a large part of digital advertising. And that's why it is such a dominant corporation. So yes, of course, you can walk to your neighbor's house. But I don't think that's a very sophisticated argument when you look at whether Facebook has market power and how that's leveraged within a given market. So I think what we need to understand here is that Facebook essentially in kind of dominating social media, as Tyler refutes, but in dominating digital advertising through kind of its social media platform, it has eliminated the ability for us as users to really have much power in that marketplace because it's collected these properties that originally were seen as competitive threats. So it's very simple. Whether or not you can walk to your neighbor's house really doesn't matter. That type of acquisition for anti-competitive purposes is against the law. But doesn't the fact that the FTC let those acquisitions go forth, Instagram in 2012, WhatsApp in 2014, the FTC was fine with that. What do you think that says about the government's case right now? What happened? Yeah, well, that's one of Facebook's big arguments. They said, look, the FTC already let us make these deals. No backsies. And the judge said, sorry, Facebook, that argument doesn't hold water. If these acquisitions were made for anti-competitive reasons and you have a lot of email traffic from Mark Zuckerberg and senior executives that certainly suggests that they were, then the FTC absolutely has the right to unwind them. So I think this case is significant for a couple of reasons. The judge did send the case back. I think people hear the word dismiss and they think, oh, it's gone, poof, you know, not happening. He sent the case back so that the FTC could make a few more distinctions in terms of how they viewed Facebook's position in the market, which they did. So this is still a very live issue. And because the FTC made a mistake, because they were looking, I think, at 
Facebook's acquisitions through this very narrow lens of consumer welfare and not looking at whether the market was competitive and not looking at whether the acquisitions were pursued because of anti-competitive reasons is part of the deal. Sarah, I think it's wrong to say that Facebook is doing something against the law. The law so far has not judged that. Antitrust law is viewed in context. A particular case is viewed in terms of the details of a business arrangement. And if I ask, you know, as specifically as possible, what is the actual harm? It seems to me the main thing you're coming back with is that America doesn't have enough advertising, that that's the big problem with our country. That if somehow you were to split up, you know, Facebook, price of ads would be cheaper. We'd have a lot more ads. To me, that's just a very odd cause to devote, you know, one's life or career to. So what I see is that Facebook added far more value to WhatsApp and Instagram than regulators had expected. We should be very happy about that. So what, we don't have enough ads? That's what you're worried about? No, I think that you're kind of making this hypothetical around what Instagram and WhatsApp would look like had Facebook not bought them. You know, Instagram is absolutely cluttered with advertisements now. So I think that this notion that somehow Facebook improved Instagram and improved WhatsApp is just simply not true or certainly not provable. I think what we see with this antitrust case, one, is that Facebook did break the law. I'm going to say that really clearly because we're not used to enforcing it like this because these acquisitions were pursued to eliminate a competitive threat. And that is not how we want markets to work. So that's what this case is looking at, the intentions of those purchases and the intention to forestall competitive threats through buying an Instagram and WhatsApp because they were concerned that they were going to take market share in a significant way. But you want to have it both ways. So on one hand, you want to say the earlier WhatsApp was a competitive threat. But there's plenty of messaging services out there. I couldn't name them all. And you want to say at the same time, those are right now not a competitive threat to Facebook. So, you know, you're, there's a twosies game going on here. You can't have it both ways. There is plenty of competition in the space of social media and messaging. No, not really. I mean, I think Facebook executives in their emails that have come to life disagree with you. They said, look, Instagram was a big one-time threat because of their strength on mobile and their strength with photos. WhatsApp, big competitive threat because of their strength in messaging. Also, obviously, huge sources of data, different types of data. So these are kind of one-time massive purchases that will help us maintain our dominant market position for years to come. That's what they've said internally, not what I've said. So I think that you have a different opinion than Facebook executives who decided to engage in these purchases for obviously massive amounts of money that seemed to be at the time to be far over market value. Last week, we asked you what you think should be done about the problems with Facebook. And here's what you said. Hi, my name is Alec. I live in Boston. With respect to Facebook, I think it should be broken up. I do not think that it should be one large company. I think that they should remove the engagement algorithm as a whole since it just seems to encourage divisiveness and is not good for society overall. I come at this from working in tech and being in tech my entire career. Hi, Jane. This is Joyce from Brooklyn. I think it's obvious that Facebook is a problem, and not just because of its size, but because of the founder control. Uh, having one person in charge, even if that one person was 
doing a really excellent job has the problem of monarchy. Thanks. Bye. This podcast is supported by The Reading Culture. Looking to spark a reading revolution in your school or community? Curious about the creators behind your favorite children's and young adult books? The Reading Culture, hosted by Jordan Lloyd Bookie, is a kid-lit podcast that goes deep with diverse authors and illustrators who are shaping the industry. They uncover everything from origin stories to book band battles, plus a curated reading challenge from each episode's celebrity guest. Join the reading culture, where reading is our passion. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Hey there, it's Ira Glass from This American Life. And the very first place that you can get the newest episodes of our podcast, it's a full day and a half before they appear anywhere else online, is the New York Times audio app. In the app, you also find the best of our archive, hundreds of episodes, plus This American Life shorts, which are handpicked stories for when you want something, you know, short. That's only at the New York Times audio app. You can download it at nytimes.com slash audio app and subscribe to start listening. Tyler, do you think that there would be a point for you where Facebook would get too big or where you would think that the government should intervene? Well, I think it's useful to look at antitrust cases that maybe do make sense. So take the case of hospital mergers, right? Prices for many healthcare services have really gone up a great deal over the last few decades. There are many counties, rural areas, even suburban areas, where there might be only one or possibly two hospital chains. Hospitals are something life and death. If you have a particular malady, you may need to go to the hospital, right? So you can argue, I think, with decent justification that our antitrust regulators have been too lax on hospital mergers. You see rising prices, uncertain quality, inability to access a lot of competition, None of those are remotely like the markets for social media or Facebook products. So uh, we're so far from the world where that would be my worry. Right now, Facebook also faces competition from crypto alternatives that may revolutionize social media. We're not sure, but there's incredible innovation in this space, incredible change. Every year or two, something significant happens. It's a lot of change. It is absolutely an open question who will emerge as the more successful companies. Sarah, what do you think of that argument? Because I, I think about part of what we've learned from a lot of the reporting on Facebook right now is that they're concerned that young people think it's for old people. And it is. It is for old people. And that, like, TikTok isn't owned by Facebook. A bunch of the companies that are coming out right now that are gaining more popularity and gaining more market share, they, they aren't owned by Facebook. So if the innovation is already happening, why would a breakup be necessary? Yeah, I remember, you know, last year and everyone was like, oh, Clubhouse is going to displace Facebook. Like, what, what happened oh, to boy. <laughs> <laughs> what happened to Clubhouse? You know, and I think, again, you have to understand that Facebook and Google have this grip on digital advertising that is not going to be disrupted by TikTok. That's not going to really be disrupted by any of these kind of small platforms that I think are lifted up as somehow this competitor at potentially at scale with Facebook and Google. But because they have that lock on digital advertising, you're not going to be able to see kind of this competitive environment happen. They've made sure of that. And it's because of their acquisition strategy that that's the case. I have to tell you, Tyler, we work with a lot of small businesses and the only way they can really reach their customers in very limited fashion 
is through Facebook. Facebook has me held hostage, one of them told us. Facebook has my life, another of them told us. That's really not how we want commerce to work in America. And in part, that is because Facebook and Google have been able to harvest so much revenue that used to keep local and independent news afloat and thriving. They've essentially taken that revenue and put it into this finely tuned manipulation machine while newspapers all around the country die off. So there are really, really limited avenues, I think, for small businesses to reach consumers. Many of them certainly feel that way. And just from a pricing perspective, I don't think that we need to focus on this narrow lane of advertising costs. But Facebook raised its prices by over 30% last year. And if you think that that doesn't, one, kind of harm smaller businesses that are operating on very thin margins, and two, eventually trickle down into consumers, higher prices for consumers, then, you know, I don't know what economics you're learning, but that seems very basic to me. But look, first you're admitting Facebook is incredibly value for small businesses. That makes it a force for anti-monopoly. Then on one hand, you want to say, well, they'll take ads from anyone, which is clearly not true, but it means they are not blocking out small businesses. But let me just ask you, if you were to list mentally the 100 top problems America faces, even the 500 top problems, is digital ads are too expensive? One of them? No, no. Our top 100 problems? Top 200 problems? How big a problem is that? Well, I think we're measuring against what the price should be in a competitive market, right? And when you have two monopolies that control and essentially are vulnerable, in fact, to a prosecution because Google and Facebook allegedly conspired over the prices of advertising, something in the Texas suit, which is quite meaningful and a major potential problem if proven to be correct, then you actually have price collusion, which is criminal to keep prices high on advertisers. So I think if you even look at it from this very narrow perspective of price, yes, there's a major problem there. But I think, again, what kind of the resurgence of a approach to antitrust that attempts to create competition within markets and not just lower prices is that you establish a healthier balance of power that can provide checks and balances on the kind of behavior that Facebook exhibits, right? So I think it's really hard, Jane, to actually separate out the conversation around antitrust from all of these harms that are spewing out of Facebook, because in many ways they are the result of the fact that they just don't feel pressure from any other competitive forces to change their behavior, right? That is a really dangerous dynamic in my view. My understanding is that if you have a platform of any kind, people are going to use it for the stupidest things possible, whatever it is. That is, in general, the rule of the internet. The people will take a platform that is intended for only people to look at puppies, and they will somehow turn it into a way to share Nazism. That's just what humans will do. Tyler, you've argued that in some ways, because of how big Facebook is, Only Facebook has been able, even in its not very good at it way, to limit the spread of hate speech because it's a private platform. It's permitted to do that. Can you explain that perspective and how Facebook's bigness, for lack of a better term that I can think of right now, makes them better at this? I think you said it very well. I would add there's what's called the Facebook Supreme Court that is autonomous, and it makes decisions on what should or should not be allowed on Facebook. There are quite a few experts on the Facebook Supreme Court. Could you imagine a smaller company pulling that off so readily? Uh, 
probably it wouldn't be possible at all. So the larger companies have a greater ability to actually protect your data, or they have a greater incentive to appeal to the mainstream than would this larger number of much smaller companies. But again, let users decide. If smaller companies are more reliable, let's have one of those small companies right now raise its hand and say, I'm more reliable than my competitors. You over there, come use me. And to the extent users agree, that is exactly what will happen. So Mark Zuckerberg loves talking about content regulation because what it does is it brings us to be around specific kind of instances where there's harmful information on the platform. It pretends to push those decisions into this oversight board, which is obviously paid for by Facebook, right? So I think there's a real question about how autonomous an entity that is paid handsomely by Facebook actually is at the end of the day. But what it also distracts from is, again, the fact that Facebook has been able to develop this incredibly toxic business model, which attempts to keep people on the platform and does so successfully by pushing their buttons, by feeding them content that is designed to anger them, to engage them, and in that way to sell more advertising dollars. So you see misinformation you know, flooding through the system because that is what Facebook's profit motive encourages, right? And I think the kind of COVID-19 pandemic has really brought this home. So this is not like a minor thing. I think Facebook's algorithms drove a genocide in Myanmar, is driving violence in Ethiopia. That's why it's high on my list of things to care about. There is Facebook in Denmark. There's Facebook in Portugal. There's Facebook in Gibraltar. In all of those places, rates of vaccination are very, very high. I think you're taking features of America you don't like, projecting them onto some particular companies. Arguably, Fox News is more to blame, say, than Facebook. Should we in some way break up or regulate the content of Fox News? Keep in mind, human beings are imperfect. And insofar as we use the Internet a lot, the Internet itself will reflect our failings. If you go back to earlier communications media, take the radio, for instance. Well, a lot of the problems with genocide in Rwanda in the 1990s, those problems were spread by radio. Now, do you then identify the radio as an evil thing, or do you actually focus on who delivered the bad messages? I totally agree with you about the nature of human sin, but there is a sense here where Facebook is very much like, oh, you're interested in vaccine denialism? Can we interest you in QAnon? There is a sense here where Facebook, the algorithm does not exist just in the world. The algorithm is built by the company. Tyler, if the government coming in and breaking up these companies isn't the thing, what do you think would make Facebook better or less malevolent? I view the overall political influence of a lot of social media, but Facebook the page in particular, as broadly centrist. Facebook as now being more important as a medium for older people rather than younger people. To be clear, I do not by any means agree with the American Center or parts of it about a large number of issues. We absolutely should try to persuade people as much as we can through other outlets there will be more competition to Facebook that page over time. There is already plenty, as I've indicated. The internet sphere, Web 3.0, is one of the most dynamic parts of our economy right now. And to think that we're facing some kind of static, stick-in-the-mud, set-forever monopolist at zero price, I might add, 
just does not describe the reality in front of our eyes. Tech is arguably the most dynamic sector the American economy has ever seen. I, again, I will let your listeners decide if walking to your neighbor's house is an adequate substitute for Facebook. But you know, certainly Facebook does not feel competitive pressure today. I think people do bring up TikTok as an example, which is kind of a fascinating one. Obviously, TikTok is very different from Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp. So I think that's fair. I'm not even sure if you're allowed to be on TikTok if you're over 30. To be quite honest, I feel like there might be an age limit there. Um, (laughs) But Facebook actually allowed TikTok to advertise through its Facebook platform because at the time, Mark Zuckerberg was trying to get into China. And TikTok is a Chinese company. So this notion that TikTok just came out of nowhere and it found all these users misunderstands or is ignorant of the way that TikTok acquired those users in the first place, which was in large part through Facebook, which said, okay, we're going to let you pay us billions of dollars and we're going to let you do this. You're just admitting Facebook allowed competition. They don't see every potential competitive threat in advance. That is strictly allegations. You're comparing Facebook to just walking across the street, but there are so many alternatives. But let me ask you, do you use Facebook the page? You personally, not your institution, you as a human being. Do I use it? Yes. I use it occasionally, not often. Okay. So you don't need to use it, right? Do you use, say, Twitter? Yes. Do you use the telephone? Okay. Why doesn't (laughs) that just settle the case? (laughs) Because this is not about our personal experiences. That's not how you look at this. You see Facebook having a dominant market position, more than 2 billion users all around the world, and it has gatekeeping control over digital advertising markets, which is what fuels that strength. So this isn't about our personal feelings or whether I use it or other people use it. If you have choice, they don't have a monopoly. That's how I would put it. The individual perspective sheds light on the macro picture. Well, what about what about the small business owners who say, Facebook has my life. I am a hostage to Facebook. I don't have any other choice, really, in terms of advertising to reach a customer base, right? So I think that if you're trying to kind of define Facebook as this single corporation and there's nothing else out there, it's a total wasteland. That's just not simply how we think about competition in markets. Look, Facebook is encouraging these small business owners, not strangling them. Their incentive is not to cut them off. They're not cutting them off. They gave them a much better deal than what they had before. And I am all for people starting new companies to help lower the price of digital advertising. There will be many, many more advertising opportunities there. An antitrust case against Facebook will be like the case against IBM, obsolete before it's even settled. So I think we're getting at this much larger question here, and this is what antitrust is revisiting and in some ways overturning, is we need to have in this country to both help to promote a more vibrant and safer democracy as well for more broad-based ownership and for more innovation markets that don't have one or two huge incumbents just plopped right there on the top of them. So the Facebook story is one that exemplifies this much larger debate because Facebook is in many ways a pace setter for the economy and for other market participants. And we see this challenge of like very tightly controlled duopolies or oligopolies sitting on top of the markets all across the economy. And I don't think that that's historically been the way that our American economy and democracy have thrived. Tyler, do you have anything you want to say in response? I think people have decided they don't like certain parts of big business. And there's 
sort of a, a look for excuses not to like them. We haven't talked about the foreign dimensions, but the notion that you would want to split up, hobble what are, in essence, America's best companies, national champions. The alternative someday could be Chinese companies and other countries essentially taking over those markets. Why would we want to do that? Do we think the Chinese companies are going to be like better or safer or more responsible than the American tech companies? Uh, in my view, no. Okay. On that patriotic note, Sarah Miller leads the American Economic Liberties Project, an organization that fights corporate concentration. And Tyler Cowan is an economist and the author of Big Business, a love letter to an American antihero. Cowan also writes for Bulletin, a project of Meta, which owns Facebook. Thank you both so much. I really appreciated that conversation. Thanks, Jane. Thank you, Jane. Thank you, Sarah. (laughs) Thank you, Tyler. For more on the debate about Facebook, how big it is, whether it's too big, maybe it's not big enough, you can hear head of the FTC, Lena Khan, talking about big tech on an episode of Sway with Kara Swisher. And if you want Facebook's take on the breakup question, check out Nick Clegg's op-ed in the New York Times. Breaking up Facebook is not the answer. We'll put links to all of these in our episode notes. The Argument is a production of New York Times Opinion. It's produced by Phoebe Lett, Elise Gutierrez, Vishaka Durba, and Matt Kwong. Edited by Sarah Geis. With original music and sound design by Isaac Jones. Engineering by Sonia Herrero. Fact-checking by Kate Sinclair, Michelle Harris, and Kristen Lynn. And audience strategy by Shannon Busta. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. 